which makes it quite interesting. But the story is full of meaning that relates to our relationship with God. And this story is one that uh, could be... Uh, one of the reasons we love Esther so much is you, you have a king, you, you have a villain. Uh, the king's name is Xerxes. The, the villain's name is Haman. You have a kind, wise man named Mordecai who has a very young and impressionable and beautiful young uh, uh, niece or cousin or step or, or like adopted daughter. We don't really know for sure the, the relationship, but Esther's without a mom and dad, and Mordecai has become her caregiver, her mentor. Uh, so you, you have... Uh, you have a king, Xerxes, you have the villain, Haman, you have Mordecai, the, the wise mentor, and you have Esther, the beautiful young girl. And so it just has all the makings of some kind of a Disney movie um, in my mind. You look at that and you think, wow, this is just a great story. And, and it really is. You see, uh, the reason it comes towards the end of the Old Testament is God is bringing his people back to the land of Jerusalem from where they had been taken off into exile. The Persians are now in charge. They, or they battled and beat the Babylonians who originally took the Jews into exile into all these different places. And um, last week we talked about the fact that King Darius of Persia was the one who sent uh, the people back, Zerubbabel, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the temple. And while they're rebuilding the temple, they are facing opposition. And so simultaneously, what's happening among the people is God is giving them a chore and a task to do to rebuild the, the temple. But at the same time, God is rebuilding the people. He's rebuilding their faith. He's rebuilding their, their opportunity to worship him. So alongside this endeavor that's taking place, he's rebuilding, he's refashioning, he's restarting a people for himself. Well, the temple got completed. The, the, the Jerusalem is still in rubble, and next week we'll talk about rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. But at the same time, there are still a lot of Jews living out in dispersion, and Susa was the capital of the Persian Empire. So you had Cyrus, King Cyrus, then King Darius, then King Xerxes, and in Esther it says that King Xerxes was the king over 127 provinces, which meant that it was the greatest kingdom in the world at that time. It spread as far wide as you could imagine. There was great power. King Xerxes kind of inherited all of this from his predecessors, and so King Xerxes was enjoying the benefits that came to him as a king all kinds of wealth, all kinds of power, opulence, a, a, a beautiful palace. And so the King Xerxes' main, main endeavor of life was to throw parties. You could just call him the party king. He's the king of all parties because he would hold not just a day or two parties, he would have month-long parties. And, and, and sometimes, yeah, and Donna Wilkinson, I just saw that, Donna, just goes, Yes! How great would that be, you know? Uh, anyway, they're in the middle of this week of partying, seven days of drinking and eating and all of this frivolity and everything. And he's married to a woman who has her own mind. And her name was Vashti, Queen Vashti. 
And so the king, in his frivolity and drunkenness, wanted to parade Queen Vashti out in front of all these buddies of his and show off. He's been showing off his kingdom and his treasures and everything else. But Queen Vashti would be considered a trophy wife for King Xerxes. So he, he asked for her to come, and guess what? She was having a party with her lady friends. And, and she said, no, I'm not going to come. I'm not going to come and, and at your whim. I'm in my own party over here. I'm enjoying my girlfriends. You're not going to just call me and put me up in front of these people and parade me around. I'm not some kind of trophy wife that you can just treat that way. So King Xerxes gets livid because he's lost face. He's been showing himself off to all these people, all of his power, everything that he has. He becomes so mad that he says, I'm not gonna, I, I will never visit her again, and I'm going to find a new queen. So off on the side here in this little, in this big place of Susa, he, he asked for the, the people to go out and search far and wide for beautiful young women that would be brought to the palace, and they would go through a year of beauty treatment. I don't know how many there were that they found, but among them was Esther. And they had a year's worth of all this beauty treatment, and they were already beautiful girls. I mean, they were probably in their prime, you know, 20, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, young. He's uh, probably in his mid-30s or so. He's older, maybe 20 years in difference in age. But anyway, so um, Esther is Jewish, and her uncle is Mordecai. For lack of a better way to refer to him, I'm just going to call him, uh, call him her uncle. And Mordecai has been overseeing this young woman. She's pure. She's beautiful. He's, she, she respects and admires Mordecai. She listens to what he has to say. That's very unusual for uh, teenage kids and so forth. But Esther was willing to do that. And her, her, her name officially, by the way, was Hadassah. Hadassah. And then she was turn to the name Esther. So she has two names. So if somebody names their child Hadassah, they're, they're reflecting Esther, okay? Um, and, and you would show your wisdom by saying, what kind of name is that? If you hear somebody say, oh, you named your child Hadassah, you know, maybe they might call him Hattie or something. Anyway, um, so Esther is brought in, and uh, she is receiving these treatments, and she comes before the king, and she is welcomed by the king. He, he loves her. He chooses her to be the queen now. And uh, so now in the midst of this, we have uh, the villain, Haman, who's risen high in this court. You have Mordecai, the uncle. And Mordecai, being a, a Jew and a follower of God, he would bow to no one. And especially when Haman would come by, Haman had so much pride. He was puffed up with his position. And people, every time he came by, you know, they'd all, you know, bow and lower their heads and honor Haman. And he loved that. He loved it. Except when he went by Mordecai. And Mordecai would just go like this. Look at him. And Haman, I'm sure, would pause and he'd look back. And he'd look back and then he'd look back and he'd probably go... And, and Mordecai would, would just stand there. It was so incredible. Now, years ago, in the Tiananmen Square uprising, 
there was an image that came out of that of a single man in front of a tank. And he was facing down this powerful military machine, one guy. And so when the tank moved, he would move to get in front of it. And by Mordecai not bowing to Haman, it was equivalent to that Chinese man standing in front of a tank because Haman had that kind of power. He was that powerful. So that gave you the sense of what courage and um, fortitude that was in Mordecai. Well, this really made Haman angry. He knew Mordecai was a Jew, but nobody knew that Esther was a Jew. So Haman got Xerxes to issue a decree that on a certain date, the Jews could be killed and all their possessions stolen by all the people around them. It was a legal thing that he issued for them. You can exterminate the Jews and you can take all their possessions. And the way they chose the date was uh, an action called PUR, P-U-R, and it was the rolling, kind of a rolling of casting of lots. In the Bible, it talks about casting lots. It's about rolling dice. So they chose the day, uh, the 13th of the month, that this would be when this is going to take place. So now Mordecai is mortified about the people, his people, and here Esther is placed in this high position in the court with the king. And he comes to Esther and he says, you, you need to, you need to deal, do something about this. And Esther's first response was, well, what can I, what can I do? If I, if I go to the king without him inviting me, he'll just probably kill me. And Mordecai said, we're going we're gonna to just ask what we should do about this. So Esther, she fasted and she prayed. Mordecai instructed all the Jews to fast and to pray. And, and, and out of that, they got wisdom. And so Esther got up a plan on what she was going to do. She she knew how to engage King Xerxes because he's the party king, right? So she says, let's have a party. And she invites Haman in, and Haman feels so proud of himself that he's being invited to the king in a special way. And so all of this transpires, and you, you guys pretty much know the story, but it becomes known that uh, this decree was... Uh, made by Haman, but it also became known that at one time back in the annals of the life of King Xerxes it had re been recorded that Mordecai heard of a plot to kill the king and it had been written down and Mordecai was the one who warned the king and spared the king's life. So when the king found out about this, he was even more motivated. But he couldn't, once a decree had been made, he couldn't undo it. So in the process of all of this going on, Haman is making plans to kill Mordecai. And uh, so he has a gallows that's built. And then uh, the king, Xerxes, invites Haman in, uh, the bad guy Haman, and says, what, what should be done? How should we honor someone who has honored the king in a very special way? And so Haman, thinking the king was talking about himself, came up with this beautiful plan of having a parade and you know, all the people out to honor this person and a big public show of, of, uh, of, of a hero's welcome. And so, so Xerxes says, 
That's a great idea, Haman. Now, I want to do that for Mordecai. And I want you to carry it out. And so he did. And uh, here's Haman, you know, with this guy that wouldn't bow to him. All of a sudden, he's next to this guy. And the very gallows that Haman had built to kill Mordecai, Haman died on. The very, the very thing. So we love this story, don't we? Because you have a king, you have a beautiful queen, you have the salvation of a whole group of people from an innocent young woman who was courageous enough to, to risk her life for this purpose, and there's this salvation that takes place, and the bad guy gets it in the end. I mean, we just love that. So that's why we love this story so much. Um, but the reason that I, I think it's instructive for us today in thinking about our own personal lives and the relationship we have with God, it, it has the theme of salvation about it. It has the idea that uh, God... He, he works out things perfectly. Mordecai said to Esther, who knows, but you have come to this position for such a time as this, right now. God is always working behind the scenes to fulfill his purposes. And though we are not perfect, his ways are perfect. And he chooses imperfect, flawed people to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish. And so we can take heart in the fact that God works in ways that we wouldn't understand. His timing is perfect. And who knows that we would come at such a time as this for God's purposes. There was a story that it was in the news with an accompanying picture. Most, most compelling picture I think I've seen in, in, in a long, long time. <clears throat> Maybe you saw it. Miami Freeway, rush hour. Traffic's backed up. Cars are being stopped. A woman gets out of the car screaming, my nephew isn't breathing. My nephew isn't breathing. Please, somebody help me. Somebody help. And, <clears throat> and strangers pop out of their car, and she grabs this infant child, and she goes to him, and let's bring up this picture. And this picture is of this woman holding her nephew breathing CPR into this little infant life was total strangers standing around her to lend support. And I don't know why this aunt was transporting her nephew this day, but I'm glad that it was the aunt whose car this little boy, this little child was in. And, and here she is in desperation, breathing life into this child, and this child revived and went home. And others stood around to help. And this picture, thinking of the story this week, makes me think of, of several different things. One is the timing of this and how this was, was done and this life was spared. One is the desperation this woman felt that this child would have life again, within its, have breath in, its, in itself. This woman, who was a complete amateur, honestly, she wasn't a, she wasn't a, a, a nurse, she wasn't a practitioner, she wasn't an EMT, she was just a total amateur. And she was doing something that, out of, that she had seen or knew that she was supposed to do, and out of that, she just acted. 
at that moment. I think about that, and I think about us, and I think about how God wants to use each and every one of us in particular times and in particular ways. We sometimes look at ourselves and we think we're inadequate. We're not capable of being able to make a difference in another person's life. We think that maybe we don't have the expertise or the knowledge or the ability that we wish that we had in order to, to speak a, a fitting word or do the right thing. And at this moment, she wasn't thinking about, okay, let's see now, is it three pumps and then a breath or three breaths and then a pump? Or No, she went into action. She went into action. And, and as she went into action, people came around her to support her and help her. And God wants to call every one of us into some kind of action in our lives because he's got a purpose that's higher and bigger than we are. We just don't know what our place is in it, but we have a place and a role in it. And I love that about the way God works. And his ways are not our ways. He works in unseen ways. He works in amazing ways. But it's an incredible thing to experience and see when we think about this. And even though things look dark, even though things look bleak, they are not. So some of the things that come to mind in this story is that kings rule over nations, but God rules over both, okay? Kings may rule over nations, but God rules over both kings and nations. The important ministry that takes place is often done by amateurs, okay? Not the pros, not the people that we think should be the ones doing it. Another thing we see in this is women play important roles in God's kingdom. Women, you have vitally important roles in the kingdom of God. And, and we honor you and we lift you up in the places and the ways that God wants to use you. And it's not just to necessarily, I mean, it's great to be wives and mothers and all that, but he wants to use you significantly in other ways as well. God is re relentlessly committed to caring for his people. He, is, he will go to great lengths to care for you and me and for his purposes to be accomplished. And in the end, God wins and the people rejoice. So in the middle of this, here we go. We have a king. We, ha we have a king. His name is Jesus. And he's the greatest king. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And Satan has been defeated. We have a deliverer in Jesus, a greater deliverer than Mordecai. We have a greater deliverer than Esther. I mean, we have Jesus. Jesus is all we need in the equation of life and in our walk and in our journey. Jesus is all we need. God has provided for us all we need in Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. I hope you are too. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us these great, great examples through these stories of people that have gone before us. True stories, not fairy tales. True stories about as, what has transpired and the links that you will go to save your people, including us. And we thank you that we have this story that encourages us and lets us know that even though things around us may look dire and the, the conditions may look hopeless, that's not the end of the story. It never will be when it comes to you. When it comes to you, God, no matter how hopeless, how dark, there is always hope and a, a beam of light. 
if we have eyes to see and faith to embrace. And to wait for the end of the story, not just look at things and judge our current circumstances by what we see now. Because ultimately there is a great victory for each and every one of us. And we give you thanks for that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> There's a, a hymn. It's, it's, it's been around a long, long time. It's a good, it's a good hymn. It's called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. It's verses 1, 2, and 3. Let's stand and sing these verses. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. people here, so you're going to have to make it a tight circle. I don't want people like bunched into sections. So everybody just kind of squeeze in tight together with your circle. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's a great story that came out of uh, the initiative that we, we put together for uh, raising money for a playground in the Dominican Republic. And uh, Elena Kalo has been on an initiative to try and raise some money for this. Uh, but in the process of, of raising some money, we, um, we had some stories come out of this. And it fits into what I said today about how God can use all, all people for his purposes. And so 
Ben is next to me, and um, about the time we just kicked off this fundraising project for the playground equipment, I got two envelopes handed to me, and they were from his kids. So, Ben, I want you to tell the story about the, those, because it was quite significant to me. Well, put me on the spot, I guess. <laughs> um, our kids had a couple hundred bucks apiece, and um, we gave them the choice to give to any um, charity that they wanted, and they took it very, very seriously. They looked at um, buying a goat from Samaritan's Purse or a variety of things, and uh, you know, they just listened about the, the Dominican Republic playground, and they said, you know, our, our little sister Lauren, her favorite thing to do is to, to swing on those swings, and, and those kids, they don't even have a swing to swing on, so we want to give our money to those kids and, and help that playground get built. So, you know, isn't that great? I mean, God, God uses the smallest to the oldest, every age group, and it was just, it touched my heart, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, joys or concerns today, something you would have to share with us this morning. Yes, Mike. All right, thank you. All right, brother-in-law Richard. Thanks, Mike. Somebody else, something to share. Valerie. I have an announcement, Shirley. No, go ahead. Okay. Um, Anybody that wears shoes like that, I'm going to turn it over to you. <laughs> she sparkles today. I lo you lost your thought, didn't you? Yeah, sorry. You were blinded and momentarily uh, rendered speechless. Okay. All right, a worship night, multi-generation, put on by our youth. That sounds fun. All right, somebody else. Judy. Okay. That's good. All healthy and doing well. All right. Not 17 pounds, 4 ounces. Okay, thank you. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Uh, yes. We are glad to see you here today. I'm so glad you're here today. It's nice to see you, and I'm glad you're here, and we'll be having some people get around you and join you for prayer today before you leave, for sure. Thank you for being here. Somebody else. 
Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, it looks beautiful out there. And we only have about, I don't know, 40 breakfast tickets left out of 200. So um, you might want to get those. Okay. I can't see you other than your hand. All right. All right. Thank you for coming in. We appreciate that, Martha. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Lori. Great. Okay. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for giving us the privilege to be together as a family, a church family here together today and meeting with us as you always do when we come to, for the purpose of meeting with you. We just ask that you'll continue to reach out and, and meet the deepest part of every person's need in their life today as only you can do. We thank you for the love that we share with you and for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia. Sing alleluia to the Lord. Thank you all. Have a great day. Good to see everybody today. Had a big group today.